Welcome to another episode of United on Wheels, United Spinal's wheelchair lifestyle podcast. As always, I'm your host, Ian Ruder. I'm the editor of New Mobility Magazine and a United Spinal employee. Today, in honor of National Disability Employment Awareness Month, which is going on as we record this, this episode is going to tackle disability and employment. To help me get into the nitty gritty of this important topic, I'm incredibly fortunate to be joined by Dr. Barbara Kornblau today. Among her many responsibilities and roles, Dr. Kornblau is an attorney, an occupational therapist, a certified case manager, a professor, and a person with a disability. In addition to the many committees and coalitions she's involved with, she's played an integral role in developing much of United Spinal's employment material and working with the organization to devise programs to help people with spinal cord injuries get back to work. Dr. Kornblau brings a wealth of experience from both the employee and the employer side of the equation, and we plan to delve into both of those today. Welcome, Barbara. Thanks for joining me. Oh, thank you for having me in. Glad to be yeah. here. Yeah, it's exciting. And uh, before we get into things, though, I wanted to give a little bit of background on the history of National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Uh, its roots go all the way back to 1945, when Congress declared the first week in October of every year to be National Employ the Physically Handicapped Week. Seems a little dated now. So in 1962, they expanded the week to include people with all types of disabilities. In 1988, they extended the celebration to a month and changed the name to what it is now. The idea is to celebrate the contributions of workers with disabilities throughout American history and to drive home the importance of ensuring that all Americans have access to the supports and services they need to work. Statistics show that we have a long way to go, sadly. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, in 2017, only 18.7% of people with a disability were employed, compared to 65.7% of those without a disability. That's a pretty big gap, Barbara. Obviously, there's a lot of reasons behind that, but what comes to mind for you when you hear those numbers? I think for me, the main thing that I think about is the attitude of people who um, are trying to hire the interview process. There's kind of, I mean, I've had this happen to me where I've walked into an interview and I just see this look on somebody's face, like, please get this person out of here. And I think that, um, I think we've made a lot of strides, strides with um, the, you know, we started putting kids with disabilities in schools in integrated classrooms. I think that's helped, but I think that a lot of um, people who are doing the hiring just are not used to being around people with disabilities and seeing them for what they can contribute as opposed to seeing limitations. So I think there are some attitude issues and you know feeling uncomfortable. We're always uncomfortable with something that's new to us. So I think that's really part of the problem um, is you know just making that connection and having an understanding that the person who comes before you for a job interview has already been screened and has the skills you want on paper. You just have to make a match between them and the job. How do you think we begin to change some of those misperceptions and educate employers so that they can better appreciate what people with disabilities bring to the table? Well, I think United Spinal has a good program of educating employers um, on how to hire people with disabilities, how to treat people with disabilities. And I think that's really a first step. And I think it's it's sort of a two-way street. I think on the one hand, you have to train employers. And on the other hand, you have to train potential employees. And um, one of the things that I do when I work with some of um, our members at United Spinal is I tell them, 
that they have to sell themselves. Everybody sells themselves at an interview. That's what that's what your job is. That's the purpose of the interview from the employee perspective or potential employees to sell yourself to the employer. And the employer's position, their their responsibility, their role in an interview is to try and make see if this person's a match to make the match between the job and the person. So I like to tell people with spinal cord injuries when you go into that interview, um, you know. People are expecting you to walk in the room, look them straight in the eye, and give three firm pumps of a handshake. And I remember I had a professor when I was in occupational therapy school, when she was teaching us how to do how to interview for jobs, and she literally made us go around the room and learn how to shake hands properly. And you know, one of the issues you have when you have a spinal cord injury is you may not be able to shake hands the way they expect that, and you certainly are not going to be able to walk in the room and look someone in the eye. So I like to tell people with spinal cord injuries and, and other disabilities that um, it's, you know, bring it to the table and, and when you go into that room, say, you know, I know that you expected me, you, you know, you expect people you're interviewing to walk in the room, look you in the eye, shake your hand, three firm pumps, but I can't do that. But let me tell you what I can do and then talk about how you can do the job. So for example, you know, I may not be able to shake your hand, but I'm really good at programming computers, and because of my disability, I've managed to program computers to cut down on the number of keystrokes that I use, and that benefits everyone. So it's really kind of bringing the disability onto the table and dismissing it and moving on into the purpose of the interview, which is how can we make that match and how can I make everybody feel comfortable. Definitely. What about that sort of nightmare scenario from the from the employee side where you go into an interview, you do exactly what you just said, and you, you still just get that cold reception or you can tell that the person has no idea how to respond to you. Where do you go from there? What advice would you give? Well, I think, you know, at that point, you have to decide you know, is this over or not? And if you think it's over, you have nothing to lose <laughs> to say, um, you know, I know that a lot of people who do interviews don't have a lot of experience with people with disabilities. And as the interviewee, my job is to make you feel comfortable. So do you have any questions I can answer for you? Um, because I can do this job and I want to show you how I can do this job and I want people I work with to feel comfortable with me. So I think it's really focusing on how can I, I get rid of that person's fears? And it may not always be successful, but it's certainly worth a try. Um, and I think that bringing, you know, br again, bringing it to the table and saying, um, you know, I, I, I sense that you feel uncomfortable with me because you didn't expect me. Um, wh what can I do to make you feel more comfortable? Let's talk about, you know, my, how great I can do this or how great I can do that or how I get to work and kind of interview yourself definitely. with a positive, you know, positive spin. Yeah, definitely more. You have to sell yourself probably even harder than somebody who doesn't have a disability. I, I imagine for most of these situations. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate, but a lot of people just have these stereotypes. I mean, I can tell you that um, I, I I walk with a cane. I don't have a spinal cord injury, but I have um, pretty serious other things going on. And I once went for an interview that I was highly qualified for. Um, and the gentleman said to me, um, you know, I see a lot of people who I've placed at this, pl you know, this employer and they look 10 years younger because they never sit down and they never stop. And I thought, this guy's, it's over for me. You know, that was just it. So I said to him, well, you read my, my, you know, you, you read my, my resume and you asked for my academic CV. So you saw how long it is and you can tell that I never sit down and stop either. Um, but I, you know, I knew it was over already. 
Um, and it was just a horrible thing that he said to me. And I just had to accept that it's over, but I fought for it. <laughs> you know, I let him know that you're wrong in a polite way, um, knowing that it's not, it's not necessarily going to get me the job. So doing what you do and working with employers and prospective employees, I'm sure you've heard all the horror stories and success stories, uh, you know, enough to probably fill a book. Are there any, any good ones that stand out to you that are instructive or helpful maybe for people who are going into these situations? Well, I think my favorite one is the one that I, I, I started to tell you about with the um, being able to say that, uh, you know, I, I can do a better job programming computers because I have to find get go rounds for me and the go rounds for me work with everybody else too. Um, so I really, really like that one. But there are others where I've had um, people say, you know, how can you do this job if, if you can't use your hands? Um, and they'll, you know, person will say, well, let me show you. Let me show you how I file. Let me show you how I do these things. Because, um, you, you know, you don't have a lot of experience with this, and I can give you that experience to assure you that I can do these things. Um, and that seems to be uh, workable and helpful because people make assumptions when they see something that's just out of the ordinary. And, you know, the point is I think employers need to really train their their um, their their interviewing staff that you know the purpose is to make a match not to make an unmatch so when you have someone who comes before you who's different from the norm or different from what you're used to for whatever reason it may not be a disability it may be something else that your job as the interviewer is to find out if there is a way to make a match not to find out a way to get this person out of your office and never see them again um, and by having that prejudice against people with disabilities, you may be getting rid of the best person for the job. I mean, look at, you know, you look at someone like President Roosevelt, he did a pretty good job from a wheelchair um, for a pretty long time. And, you know, he had the skills, the necessary skills in some parts of the country, they probably wouldn't let him vote or something because they'd find him, you know, not competent to do things. But we've learned from those experiences and we know that people have talent. And that's the whole point of when you talk to people interviewing, what are you looking for? I'm looking for talent. So talent comes in all shapes, sizes, colors, able-bodiedness, and that's what you really have to look for, is you know that match. Totally. So say I'm hypothetically I'm an employer listening to the podcast today, and I've got a small business, and I want to make sure that in my hiring process I am not discriminating, and that you know that I'm doing the best that I can to make prospective employees comfortable, and that. I'm really evaluating people on their true talents. What can I do to make sure that my staff is trained right and knows what to do? Well, I think it's important to have job descriptions that are um, task-based instead of um, physical function-based. So lifting 50 pounds in a job description, um, I don't know many people who can lift 50 pounds uh, if they're over 40 for extended periods of time. Um, so lifting 50 pounds is not really part of the job. Part of the job is transporting something from one place to another. So for example, I couldn't lift a box of um, copy paper, but part of my job might be to, to move the copy paper from the storage room to the copy machine. I can put on a cart or I can take one packet at a time you know, I, I don't need to do the whole box. So I think that the job description has to explain what the outcome is, what the task is that the person needs to fulfill. And that can be done in many different ways. So if you're saying that you must be able to stand for eight hours, 
why do you have to stand for eight hours if you could sit on a high stool? Or if you can have the, the work um, height, the table or whatever you're working at lowered so that you can sit in a wheelchair and do it. So standing for eight hours is not really the task. The task is putting widgets together or packing widgets or whatever it is. So employers have to be really aware of what the job actually is, not what they expect the typical average person to perform it in a specific type of way because a lot of jobs can be performed in many different ways. Um, they don't have to be done in a standard way. So it's the task. How can we get to the outcome? What's, what, what's the outcome that we expect? And then when you have those job descriptions, you can ask people at the interview, would you be able to file? Would you be able, you know, file, um, uh, documents away? And the answer may be yes. I, however, I need two drawer file cabinets. I can't do the, the, the uh, I can't do file in a four drawer. So that's okay. If you have space, or maybe you can make that as an accommodation, that's okay. Um, would you be able to complete this task? Would you be able to program the computer? Uh, because again, the person who comes in who can't use their hands as well as, as a, a person who, you know, an average person can use their hands without a spinal cord injury um, is probably going to think, oh, how can that person do anything if they can't use their hands? You can't put yourself in that person's place because that's not your life experience. But if you have the task, you can ask them, this job requires programming a computer. Would you be able to do that? Would you have any difficulty doing that? That's really what you're trying to find out. So the job description and the information from the person gives you that match. Right, and it seems like that's a perfect lead into the flip side of that from the employee side of uh, being clear about what accommodations and uh, other possible assistance you might need as far as your what your true abilities are. What advice do you give to people about how they disclose that and talk with prospective employers about that? Well, I think, again, it goes back to the, the task outcome. And I think that as the employee, you need to stress that I can do that. And in some cases, it's going to be I can do that better. Um, and here's how I do that. Uh, so that's not something you need to worry about. Um, as you saw from my resume, I've been doing that for 10 years. So I have a lot of experience doing it. And because I've been doing it for 10 years, I've been able to help other people learn how to do it and to do it in an, a faster way and an easier way because I have to do it in a, in a way that's not typical the way everybody else does it, like the example of cutting down the keystrokes. Um, I've cut out 10 keystrokes from that process. That means everybody on my team does it faster. So you have to be able to explain that, yes, you do it and how you do it and not, you know, that they don't need to worry about whether you can do it. You've you applied for the job. You saw what the requirements are. You have it in your job description that you've done it. So it's a, you know, it, it's a done deal. I have expertise and uh, the ability to do this. So I think that's really, it's a sales, uh, selling what you're able to do, what your capabilities are and what you've accomplished. Gotcha. So what about going, just following up on that a little bit, the idea of reasonable accommodation and say I can do all these things you're talking about, like I'm the best programmer out there, but I need, you know, my elevated table and I need dictation software and, you know, um, maybe someone who can help me do like one or two little things around the office. How, how do you broach those kind of accommodations and topics? Sure. I think you explain how you can do it 
and then I think it's fair to say um, I do need one or two accommodations. They're they're low cost, they're minimal, they don't interfere with other people's ability to do the job. So I need voice activation, which you know I, I'm I'm sure you're aware of Dragon Dictator, whatever program you use. It's not an expensive item. Um, I also need the desk raised, but what I found is that um, you know if you could just get eight bricks, you can put the desk up on bricks. Not expensive, easy to do. I'm sure you've got uh, you know jan janitorial staff who can help lift up the desk and put the bricks underneath. So these are very simple things that I can do, and it's worth doing it to get someone who's a good worker. And I have a great work history. And um, you know that's something you want. You want people who are going to stay, you know, work for you and, and stay for a while. And and that's my plan. So better to broach that early on as opposed to waiting until you know you've been hired or something like that is what you're saying. Well, that's if they ask. You can broach it once you've been hired. Okay. Um, you know, and and there's nothing. There's certainly nothing wrong with that. Um, now interviewers can ask, how would you do that? Um, and then you can explain how you would do it, and you can explain you might need some minor accommodations. Um, you know, I do it with with uh, um, software, with um, you know, voice activation software. I um, you know, I, I would need the desk raised, and that's about it. And that's minor. And and gotcha. tell them, you know, it's minor stuff. Um, it doesn't and it doesn't interfere with anybody else doing their job. You know, I might need someone else to get the mail for me because um, I can't reach. The mailboxes, but they're getting their own mail, so they can just bring my mail back too. Sure, I think that's also another good segue there. In that, uh, what are what are the kind of rights and uh, privileges that people should know about what can or can't be asked when they go into a job interview, as far as what employers can and can't ask? Sure, there's a lot of questions that they can't ask. Um, so there's some general questions that they can ask that have nothing to do with disability that I think are important to know too. So they can ask you questions. Um, I'll just get you know get those out of the way. They can't ask you if you've ever been arrested, for example. They can't ask anything, uh, you know, race, religion, that kind of stuff. Um, when it comes to disability, there are some questions that they may ask that you may not think are disability-based, but they are. So they can ask you, for example, have you ever filed for workers' compensation? They're not allowed to ask that. Um, now, some of the more interesting ones that they're not allowed to ask that you may hear anyway is, how did you, you know, how did you get in a wheelchair? What happened to you? Because some people just don't realize they're not supposed to ask these questions or they've been taught not to ask them, but they feel uncomfortable with you because they're not used to being with someone with a disability and they don't know, they lose their etiquette skills when they see a wheelchair. Um, so when somebody asks you that question, the or those kinds of questions, the best way, the best thing to do is to deflect them. So were you in an accident? Were you, you know, whatever? It's like, well, let me tell you about some of my past jobs where being in a wheelchair wasn't a factor, something like that. It's, you know, deflect, deflect, deflect. Now, some of the other questions that they can't ask you, they can't ask you things like, can you lift 50 pounds if the job doesn't require lifting 50 pounds? Um, they can't ask you questions like, um, why were you out of work for the last year? Uh, because the answer may be, I was in rehab, and they're not supposed to ask you information about medical stuff. Um, they can ask you questions like, how do you get to work? Um, they can ask you, would you be able to get to work on time? Because that's a question they ask everybody. Um, but they can ask you, well, gee, there's no transportation in town. We don't have public transportation. How are you going to get here? Um, they, they can't ask you that. The question is, what do you do if they do ask you that? If they ask you that, you just simply say, 
well, I can, I have no problem with transportation. I'll be able to get here on time because that's the right, that's the right answer to the question that they're allowed to ask. So you try and give them the information that to the question they should have asked. Um, if they ask you, you know, why are you in a wheelchair? Um, have you been in a wheelchair long? Would you have some congenital disease? Were you in an accident? All of those things they're not allowed to ask. So you just want to deflect them. Are there circumstances where it may be to the prospective employee's benefit to embrace if one of those questions that's not supposed to be asked is asked, like say, I want to tell my story about how I ended up in a wheelchair and I think that it helps me, it might help me land the job? I think there are absolutely situations like that where, I mean, one of the things that in, in, you know potential employers like to see is that you've overcome adversity in general. You know, the story of, you know, I grew up impoverished, I, I, I put myself through college, I, you know, um, I won awards, I, I won this achievement, and here I am, I'm the best program in the world. People like to hear those kinds of stories. So if you can tell that story um, of what, what, you know, what happened to you, how you had your accident and how you've recovered from it, there is a positive side to that. You have to feel that out, though, with the person interviewing you, because the positive side of that is, I can overcome adversity. I can face adversity in the, you know, look it in the eye and move on and, and accomplish things and do better. So there might be a situation. I can't tell you, you know, that's the, the kind of thing where you have to get a feel for that. Because sometimes that also can break the ice with the interviewer and make the interviewer feel comfortable. And the idea, of course, is to make the interviewer feel comfortable with you because as a person with a disability, you know, you're you're different. You're not what they're expecting. Right. So say say I have another hypothetical. Say that I apply for a job that I really want, a company I really want to work for, a big company, and I go in for the interview, and I have just a terrible rapport with uh, the person I'm talking with. It just you know, they don't understand. I feel like they ask all the wrong questions. They're not supposed to be asking. Um, clearly, you know, violating some of those uh, expectations. Is there a course of action that I can take after that uh, to follow up and possibly keep my pr prospects alive there? Or what's the best way to go about that? Well, theoretically, you can file a complaint with the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Um, and theoretically, you know, they come in and investigate and take notes as soon as you leave the office. Um, what you might want to do is you might want to call you know, depending on how it's a big, we're talking about big companies. You might want to call HR and see if you can talk to someone in HR who handles um, the EEOC complaints and things like that to tell them that you had a bad experience and you were wondering if you could be interviewed again by someone else who might be a little more open-minded, that you felt that this person was really stuck on you having a disability. Um, now, I've never seen anyone do this, but I think that it's certainly an option. Um, because big companies don't want to get in trouble and they, most of them want to do the right thing these days. You know, a lot of large companies are opening themselves for um, all kinds of diversity. They have diversity programs. So if you can find the person in the company in charge of the diversity program and, and explain what happened, you know, it's certainly possible that the person who interviewed you is new or just lacks experience interviewing people with disabilities. I like to think that most big companies now are embracing diversity programs, but I would certainly pursue it to some degree. It may not work, but it can hurt. Yeah, you've been around disability and employment for a long time and have clearly a lot of experience talking with people on both sides. Do you feel like things are getting better or is it is it stagnating or where are we right now? 
Well, I think it's kind of interesting because when you think that we're, you know, what, almost 30 years post ADA, I think we have a new generation of uh, people working in human resources. And at the same time, though, we also have um, adults who were raised in integrated classrooms with people with disabilities. But they were used to being with, as you know, I use the term cute little kids with disabilities who, you know, they played with. This now we're we're going into a different um, mode. So I think we're 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 coming around in a cycle where people need more training, but the companies have more of a stake, and the companies get it. So I do see more diversity programs in general, and a lot of different kind of diversity too. You know, I'm I'm seeing diversity with LGBTQ. I'm seeing, um, you know, in addition to disability, I'm just seeing a broad spectrum of diversity programming. And now with the Me Too movement, you're seeing more things happening um, to benefit women. So um, I, I do see a big focus on diversity and more willingness to work with different, you know, different kinds of people um, in the workplace. Well, that's good to hear. Um, I think those were all my questions for today. I, I always like to give, give my guests a chance to plug uh, whatever they're doing and kind of talk a little bit about any resources or other things they think might be useful for listeners. Um, so maybe just turn the floor over to you to anything you want to add, Barbara, or uh, top off on what we talked about. Sure. I guess um, the one thing I'd, I'd like to do that I, 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 I didn't do enough of, and, and that's to kind of give you alternatives to if, if you do get asked questions that you're not supposed to be asked. Um, there are several different approaches to them. One of them is to not answer the question and just tell them what you want to tell them, which that one I kind of did mention. Um, the other one is to um, ask your own question. So if somebody says, um, you know, and I, I, this is, may not be the best example off the top of my head, but if somebody says, um, gee, can you use your arms to, to do this job? Uh, to say, oh, I think what you're asking me is, am I able to do X, Y, and Z um, uh, tasks in the job description? Let me let me explain. And so you're you're answering the question that they should have asked asked you instead of the question they did ask you. So mm -hmm. they ask a question they're not supposed to ask. You change it into a question that they could ask, and you answer that one. Which ultimately, you know, can you use your arms to do this, these three tasks in the job description is really what they were trying to say, but they didn't have the, they didn't feel comfortable, they didn't know how to ask the question in the right way because they're stuck on the fact that how can somebody do this job if they can't move their arms? Right. Um, so, so you, 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 you take over and you ask the question that they should have asked. Um, another way to do it is to just say, I mean, if, if you feel that it's over to just say, you know, you're really not allowed to ask that question, which is another option. Um, I prefer the, you know, the one in the middle, which is to ask the question you want to ask, you know, you think they're trying to ask you and then answer it. Um, because that gives you that gives them information. Um, it may put them at ease a little bit too. So um, I think that's really important. And you know, chances are that if you feel uncomfortable with the question, it's probably a question they're not supposed to ask. So any question about physical things, they're not supposed to ask those. Um, any questions about who takes care of you, family members, how do you um, how do you go to the bathroom? Uh, you know, people may ask you really stupid things. If somebody says, "Gee, how do you go to the bathroom if you're in a wheelchair?" Um, 
you know, you, you turn that around and say, I, I, it sounds like you're asking me if I'm like independent to take care of myself. And yeah, when I come to work, I'm able to do everything. I can go to the bathroom. I can make my lunch in the cafeteria or whatever. You know, I can do all of those things. So it's the art of translating their question into a question that you feel comfortable answering. Um, I think that's the main one. And then just the idea that look for companies that are um, do have diversity programs. I think that's really helpful. Um, but it, it, you know, just know that there. When you walk into that room, even though it's the interviewer's role to make you feel comfortable, your job is going to be to make the interviewer feel comfortable if you sense that they don't feel comfortable. And it's okay to say, um, you know, I sense that you're not. You feel a little uncomfortable with me. Is there, you know? what can I tell you about myself or what can I do to make you feel more comfortable? Cause I'm really qualified for this job and I really want to get that message across to you. So any way I can get that message across to you, just keep in mind um, when you look at me, see my resume in my face <laughs> and remember right. all of the good things that you saw in my resume and remember that I can do them. And if you want me to explain how I'm happy to explain how. Definitely. Are there any good websites or online resources for people who want to educate themselves more about this process and kind of get better, more tips and resources? United Spinal has a website um, where we talk about, um, if you go to the United Spinal website and look for the employment section, um, we have some of these tips on the website with questions that they can ask, questions they can't ask, uh, and some other tips for you. Awesome. So those, are, those are available. United Spinal, we do a really good job in putting out information. We want people to work and we want employers to feel comfortable hiring people with disabilities. Definitely, and for those of you who don't know, that's www.unitedspinal.org. Uh, and there's tons of great resources there uh, and on a lot of other areas too, uh, if you decide you just wanna spend a little time searching around. So uh, Barbara, thank you so much for joining me. Do you wanna plug anything else that you've got going on or any other stuff you're involved with? Well, the only other thing I want to plug is that um, United Spinal has a wonderful program to help employers uh, train, um, in, you know, interviewers, recruiters um, in disability etiquette, how to interview and recruit people with disabilities, um, and I highly recommend uh, our program. And is that available on the main website also, information about that? Um, yeah, I think it is. And if, if you call United Spinal and you ask to speak to Abby Ross, um, she will be glad to help you set something up. Awesome. Well, Barbara, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. It's a great way to cap off uh, National Disability Employment Awareness Month, and hopefully um, for everybody listening, it was helpful also. So I really do appreciate you making the time. Well, thank you, Ian, and I hope that everybody who's listening either applies for a job or hires somebody with a disability. Thank you very much.